Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Most of you, I would imagine, when you got married, you took the traditional vows, you know, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. There's nothing in there really about emotion or feeling. It's just all about commitment. And regardless of how you feel, you keep doing the things that love does. Today, on a special edition of Back to Basics, Pastor Brian's wife Cheryl joins the talk to address wives as Pastor Brian addresses the husbands. Join us for the special marriage talk on Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, in a message titled, Love and Respect. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So here we go. We're, as, as many of you know, we're doing a, um, we're teaching through Ephesians. We're doing a series within a series. We've been talking about marriage over the past few weeks. We, we looked at marriage. We looked at just the, the general biblical picture of marriage. Then we looked at the, the role of the wife. We looked at that uh, specifically. And then we looked together at the role of the husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we, we took an in-depth look at that. So today we're going to come back and kind of just wrap this portion up, just the husband and wife portion up, uh, by looking at verse 33. Again, husbands, love your wives. Wives, uh, see that you respect your husbands. And so all the way through the series, I have been thinking that at some point, it would be really great if um, my wife could join me and we could do a little bit of a team teaching thing. So this morning, that is going to happen. So Cheryl's going to come out right now. And um, we're going to do this together. Just give you a little bit of background all, all week long. I Last week, I informed her, you know, next Sunday, we're going to do this, and um, she was kind of apprehensive about it and everything, but, uh, you know, I said, remember, this is where submission comes in, and so here she is, a good submissive wife, uh, with us this morning, but yesterday, as we were kind of going back and forth on sharing different ideas of what we we were going to talk about and, you know, looking up different things, and as she came across a story and she read it to me, and I thought she was reading it to me because she wanted to give it to me to use. I found out later that she was thinking about using it, and I sort of stole it from her, so I'm giving her credit right up front. But I, it does apply more you know, for, for the men, so I'm the more appropriate one to do this. But it's, the, it's about the deep-sea anglerfish, the deep-sea anglerfish. Maybe you've seen a picture of those really ugly uh, fish are found way, way, way down in the depths of the ocean, and they've got that really um, extended lower jaw, and then they've got this, this looks like a fishing pole attached to their nose. Anyway, an interesting story about the anglerfish. Here it is. Uh, male black sea devils is what they're called, have a much shorter lifespan than females and are much tinier in comparison. Here's the significant part. Their sole purpose is to attach themselves to a female living as a parasite. If they don't find a female, they are not even properly equipped to eat. So I thought, you know, there's, there's something in this. There, there's a similarity between human males and the anglerfish males. 
And um, I think had I not attached myself as a parasite to Cheryl many, many years ago, I, I never really would have eaten anything uh, beneficial or healthy. She's kept me fed quite well for the past 34 years. So I just thought that that was a, a relevant story to begin with today. So the points that we want to uh, address today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at it from the position of love. There, Paul says in verse 33, love your wives again. And then she's going to look at it from the standpoint of respect. And so we just got a few points here, and we're going to go back and forth. But, you know, as I was thinking through this, we, we've talked about a lot of things as we've looked at the, the role of the wife, as we looked at the role of the husband. But I was thinking about a few things that we haven't specifically addressed. And so uh, these are the things that we're going to uh, talk about here now. And the first one is um, just pertaining to the whole issue of feelings in the marital relationship, fluctuating feelings. And so the first point is love and feelings. And the question is, what do you do when you don't have that love and feeling? Remember that song um, from years ago? Um, what, but what, what happens when that dissipates? What happens when that's not really at, at the forefront of your emotional experience? Uh, some people think that, well, because we've lost the, the feeling, we, because we've lost that love and feeling, maybe, uh, you know, maybe we made a mistake in getting married, or maybe this is a sign that we're, you know, we're not meant to be together. Uh, maybe this is a, an omen that our, our marriage is doomed to fail. But we need to know that that's not the case at all. Because, of course, feelings fluctuate, but as we pointed out previously, Love is not primarily a feeling. You remember that love is a choice, not a feeling. That love is a commitment, an act of the will, rather than an emotion. So the truth is, whenever I'm, I'm having those fluctuations in my feelings or in my emotions... I'm not to let that bother me. I'm not to let that move me. I'm just to really, you know, press forward with the, the commitment that I made. Go back and think of the, the vows that we take. Most of you, I would imagine, when you got married, you took the traditional vows, uh, vows to, um, you know, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish uh, till death do us part. You notice as you think about those vows, uh, there, there's nothing in there really about uh, emotion or feeling. It's just all about commitment through these things. And the truth of the matter is this. Regardless of how you feel, you keep doing the things that love does. And when feelings are absolutely necessary, they will be there. But, but we, we just keep doing the things that love does because love, remember, is a commitment. Feelings are going to go back and forth. Feelings are going to fluctuate. But that doesn't change anything. Don't let that trip you up into thinking that, well, maybe this is never going to work or maybe this was never right in the first place because I, I no longer have those feelings. That's not what it's about. Now, personally, I've never had any fluctuating feelings. I have had just deep emotional passion for Cheryl from the day one. But uh, she's expressed that occasionally she's lost the love and feeling. But um, it's when I don't shave and I look more like a homeless person than uh, the guy she married. But 
Uh, we're still together, so you can see that she's doing what I'm talking about here. So, there you go. That's the introduction. Your Yesterday turn. was that homeless day. <laughs> yeah, yesterday was a homeless day. I never, I never changed out of my pajamas yesterday. We're so real. I don't know if this is safe. So I want to talk about respect and restoring the emotions and the affections to marriage. So the word there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, is the word phobia, which in the Greek means to reverence or deference, to value, appreciate, or esteem. Interestingly enough, in 1965, Otis Redding wrote and recorded the song, Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. And he wrote it about his wife. And he said, all I'm asking is when I come home for a little respect. Well, it hit number 35 on the charts. Two years later, Aretha Franklin took that song, recorded it. It went to number one and it sustained that place. She won two Grammys. What does that say? It says that women want respect, but we don't want to give it. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, because you would have gotten a ooh. I would have gotten in big trouble. Yeah, but these are that. my people. <laughs> women are natural responders. We reciprocate. We're more likely to send the thank you or to think that we need to send a thank you or feel guilty over not sending a thank you than men. They're like, well, why should we thank them? We went to dinner at their house. They got our company, present company excluded. But we're, we're more likely, we're responders. But we need to begin to develop that respect, especially in our marriage, especially if we want the affection to return. And I'm going to give you five practical ways just to work on the respect towards affection. First of all, appreciate. Just simply being thankful. Thankful for what the Lord has given you. You know, I remember being in England and this, Brian had counseled this man and he and the man said, look, you know, it's not going well in my marriage. And he said, have your wife talk to Cheryl. So I was prepared and she came walking towards me. She looked scared. She was even shaking, you know, because she had to say, you know, I've lost that love and feeling. And now she um, came to me. I said, I know, I know, I know. I know what it's like. I know that the affections are ebbing. I said, but I bet he was so handsome at one time, right? She's like, mm. And I said, and you couldn't wait to marry that man. Mm. And I said, but now sometimes he doesn't smell so good. Mm. And I said, and, and his muscles aren't quite as taut. Oh. And I said, and there's a little bit of a tummy now where there used to be like a six pack or an eight pack or whatever it is, the pack. And she's like, oh. And I said, you know what? That happens to everybody. But this is the opportunity for real love because that man is there and that man loves you. And that man is putting up with so much. And the Lord began to, to speak Thanksgiving into her life. You know, we have to remember years ago, uh, a friend of mine was doing her joyful life homework and it had for day two, 
10 reasons to be thankful for your husband. She had to put it down and really think about it. It took her three days to come up with eight reasons. She hadn't finished the last two. And she had set it down on her kitchen counter just with eight filled out. She couldn't even move on to day three or day four. She had to finish that day. And her husband came home unexpectedly for work. And she came around the corner and there he was with her homework. And he took it and he said, do you mean this? Do you mean this? And she said, yes, I put a lot of thought into that. And he said, I had no idea that you appreciated me. I have felt so unappreciated. And they prayed together to renew their marriage together. So we need to appreciate. Secondly, we need to think about what our husband does. He works sometimes at a job that he hates, but just simply to bring support and money into the home. He comes home every night. That's big. He keeps coming home every night. He protects the home. He defends the home. He loves your children. You know, that's one of the greatest things, you know, that Brian loves my kids and I love his kids, which happen to be the same kids as he brought out second service. I love his grandkids. He loves my grandkids. Again, the same grandkids. Also, we need to think about what we are building. Proverbs 14.1 says, a wise woman builds her house, but the fool plucks it down with her own hands. How do we build our house? Well, we build it on the word of God, according to Matthew chapter 7. We build it with lots and lots of prayer. We build it as we pray for affection in our marriage. And God often lets the inadequate and the lesser run out that he might give us the greater, the greater bricks with which to build, the better wine in John chapter two. Then we need to put ourselves in their shoes. What is life like for them? They're going out into the workplace. They've got these temptations all around them. What is it like for our husbands? I have a friend whose husband was always saying to her, I wish you would just understand how hard my life was. Well, she felt like he was a bit of a complainer and he just needed to move on. And she used to say that to him. At the same time, she was praying that he would take the spiritual lead in the house. One morning as she got up early, she's praying that he'd take the spiritual lead. The Lord gave her a vision and she saw her husband's life from birth up to his teenage years. And she began to cry because it was so hard and it was so bitter. And he came out of the bedroom about that time and he said, what's going on? And she said, the Lord gave me a vision of what your life has been. And I'm so sorry that I haven't been more sympathetic, that I, I just never knew. And he said, now I can trust you. I never felt like I could trust you with my heart and with my pain. And he sat down with her and he told her even more of the things he was going through. Um, they prayed together. At this point, he said, let's read our Bibles together and let's read Luke. And she said, no, let's read Philippians. And he said, no, let's read Luke. And she said, no, I really want to read Philippians. And he said, you're doing it again. And she realized that in that she was taking the lead away from him and she needed to give him that respect. And then get rid of unreal expectations. Now this is gonna be hard for some of you, but I have to say it. Mr. Darcy never existed. <laughs> Mr. Darcy is the figment of an English spinster's mind. I know, I'm disappointed too. 
Most men don't talk like that. They don't have posh English accents. Just doesn't happen. And we need to remember that because the comparisons are so dangerous in marriage. And that brings in disrespect and it it causes us to be unaffected. And we need to have that affection so we can't compare. This is the gift that God gave me. This is God's gift to me and I need to recognize it as such. Finally, we need to recognize our own need for grace. I, and this is also hard to say, I am not the easiest person to live with. I mean, passionate is one word I like to call it, but there are other words, not as nice. But when I remember that I'm not that easy to live with, then I have so much more appreciation and respect for him for coming home and putting up with me. So as we bring this grace into our marriage, it will help to bring the affection back. Well, the truth of the matter is, um, Cheryl's fairly easy to live with. She's very, very, it's very difficult to drive with her, but to live with her is, uh, to live with her is pretty easy. Uh, driving's another story because she, she is the quintessential backseat driver. I'm a GPS. <laughs> So this leads very well into the next subject, and that's love and conflict. Now, again, as I said earlier, you know, kind of thinking through some of the things that we felt like we might want to touch on here in the final session, this, this one to me is huge because a love filled marriage will not necessarily be a conflict-free marriage. You know, sometimes people get the idea, maybe it's because some others give the impression, you know, that that if you really have a loving marriage, if you really have a godly marriage, you're never going to have a disagreement, you're never going to have a dispute, you're never going to have an argument. Um, But that really isn't the case. And, And if you have those things, it doesn't mean that you have a bad marriage. I like to just refer to it as a lively marriage. Uh, Cheryl and I have a lively marriage. There's a lot of, uh, she mentioned first service, the, uh, the proverb, you know, it's, it's uh, iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens the countenance of his friend. But when you think about iron sharpening iron, what happens in that process? There are sparks that fly, right? And so sometimes that's the case. And, and I look over our years together, and we've had a lively, spark-filled marital experience. But, you know, we can, we can stand before you today and say, you know, we, we absolutely love each other despite all of the disputes that we've had. I've often shared this. In our first year of marriage, I, I think we had a pretty serious dispute every single day for the first year. We, uh, 365 days, that we would, we would find something uh, every day to just get in a serious argument over. Uh, year two, I think we did it every other day. And, you know, maybe by the third year, we were maybe three or four times a week. But, you know, the, the, that whole thing just, uh, they, were, they were fewer and, and farther between. And I think after the 10-year mark, you know, then we used to have a good... You know, we used to have a good row every, you know, once a month or something. And, uh, and now it's amazing after, 
three and a half decades together, we, you know, it's like every few years we'll have a good knockdown drag out. But, but you know, that, that's quite a, a bit of progress, as you can see, from every day to now. You know, sometimes there's years in between. Sometimes when we're getting into a, a pretty, you know, serious dispute, we'll think, wow, it's been a long time since we've been in anything like this. Now, all week long, we have been uh, walking on eggshells around each other because I told her in the early part of the week we were going to do this. And, and then I thought, boy, you know, something is going to try to wreck this thing. So I, I've been very sensitive to, to not take the bait uh, as, you know, opportunities would come. And I'm sure that I gave her a few opportunities that she refused to take the bait on as well. But listen, just because you have these kinds of disputes and things, it doesn't mean that there's not genuine love uh, in the marriage. A few years ago, we had a couple's retreat from our church right here. Some of you might have been there. And uh, Cheryl and I were the guest speakers for the weekend, and we were doing the main run of the teaching. And so we got there. Of course, it starts Friday night, so we did Friday night. We had a great time. And Sunday, or Saturday morning, we, we had you know, a session, and we did quite well. But between the, the Saturday morning session and the evening session, something happened. There was a dispute that arose between us. And it became so contentious that she said, forget it. You're on your own, buddy. I am not going back up there and speaking. Uh, it's over. Uh, I am, you know, you go talk to people about marriage. I'm not coming with you. So, of course, there was nothing I could do to convince her that she ought to just do it because it was the right thing to do. She refused to do it. So there I was, Saturday night. I was up speaking at the marriage retreat on marriage by myself with my wife in the room. Now, that wasn't the worst part of it. The worst part of it was the whole time I was teaching, she was texting me little messages like, okay, you big hypocrite, tell everybody how to love their wives. Tell them what a great husband you are. And uh, it was a pretty tough night to, uh, <laughs> to keep my focus. Listen. Wherever you're at in your marriage, know there's hope. We are living proof that there is hope. So, you know, I don't buy this idea that, um, you know, people never fight. And, well, you know, if you were really a mature Christian, you wouldn't have anything like that. Just because there's conflict doesn't mean there's not love. So what do you do? You grow past it. You, you take these things and, and they become constructive. They, they become ways to grow. And sometimes in the course of those disputes, I will be getting great insight into Cheryl. It's like, okay, I, I realize when I'm listening to her, she's, she needs me to hear her on this. I need to change the way I think or feel or whatever. So um, the important thing in the marital relationship is communication. And sometimes if you have to communicate at a little higher volume, that's okay. Don't be, don't be condemned over it. Um, it's just, in some cases, that's just the way it is. Right? Yes, but... Okay. He had spent a couple thousand dollars with one of my daughters, not telling me, at the retreat. 
It was a financial investment and it was, it, it put us in a bind. And I was angry. For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. Baptism, the gifts of the Spirit, women in ministry, the rapture, and creation. These are only a handful of doctrines that have caused division throughout the history of the church, and they continue to divide today. But the unity of the church is essential for the mission of the church. So in his book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, Gavin Ortland provides practical wisdom that can be personally applied when faced with doctrines that have divided. He exhorts all Christians to be honest, tactful, and gracious, because humility is the way to unity. If you want to be equipped to be doctrinally balanced, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.